0: Everybody, it's time to roll for intent with the creator's corner. We're back again. I feel like we've done over a dozen of these now. Officially over a dozen. This is number 13. Ooh, lucky number 13. The luckiest. I'm sure that doesn't mean anything.
1: You know, what's really ironic is this may not actually be the 13th episode released because of the way that we slot things in because we don't want to like smash different content creator groups together. Who knows what's going to happen? It's pandemonium
0: over here. Roll for intent. We're still waiting to get our hands on Kingmaker. We have to review that at some point. That's oh, that's going to bump people as soon as we get that. <laughs> I, I'm honest.
1: Yeah, it's going to bump people for like four weeks. It probably will. But, you know, it is what it is. We're really excited to talk about the actual content, like the, the mechanics in that book. I couldn't care less about the adventure path. Kingmaker doesn't excite me, but the mechanics. Hell yeah.
0: Very excited to see what they're going to be doing. So who do we have with us today? I see someone with a bag over their head in the corner and all tied up. So I'm
1: assuming we got someone. Yeah, I probably should get him some water. It's been a bit. Uh, With us today, we've got Garrick J. Williams. He is the mastermind behind Ooze Folk of Galarian. You've probably seen it on Pathfinder Infinite. It's been hanging around that top 15 spot for a while. And it is an absolute jam packed volume of content. I was I a was little taken aback when uh, I, I opened it up and saw how many pages were in this thing. I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? We've got all these things to review on top of each other, and now I got to read this whole thing. Oh my God, I made a mistake. But it was so good. There is not a spare word in this thing. I, I had a great time reading it. And while I wasn't super excited about Ooze Folk to begin with, I I dig them now, man. I kind of dig them.
0: How can you not be excited about ooze folk? What's wrong with you? I mean,
1: they're ooze, they're folk. I don't know, man. They seem sticky. Do you want to shake an ooze folk's hand?
0: Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Get into it.
2: Garrick, you tell me. Do I? Well, with the ooze, you should be fine because they usually wear gloves.
1: Right, you make a point of mentioning that multiple times in the book that they typically wear non-permeable gloves because they can taste everything.
2: Yeah, they can kind of taste everything, and you know, it's very you know, humans they they have this thing called skin that is really useful for protecting them really w- well against contaminants. But if you're if you're or ozid, they don't care which how you pronounce their name um yeah it's they they want to be clean because contaminants can get into them uh, very very easily and it's kind of annoying to them
0: so i'm guessing they also wear shoes a lot
2: too ah yes they absolutely love shoes it's they find them really fascinating um yeah it protects their feet and, and and they get to look stylish at the same time
1: It gives them a little bit of structure, and you know, which is like really important to to these. You you talk about in here the various feats that allow them to maintain structure more easily, and how when they rest, they like to rest in containers so that they're kind of contained, for lack of a better term, a container (laughs) to contain yourself. How novel. I mean, you thought of everything in this book. Like, usually we see an ancestry book, and it's, you know, 20, 30 pages, stuff like that. Not, not a huge amount of stuff going on in there. But dude, you've gone into deities and like social structure and how the different societies of Oz folk and different parts of Galarian congregate and, and exist and how they interact with people, um, both the Ozid and the Ozmorph. Versatile heritages and all of the different ways that you could become an ooze morph through the backgrounds—just fantastic amount of content. The weapons are so cool. The what the palm palm cudgel—that thing is rad. Like it's the simplest thing. They take a rock, they put their ooze around the rock. Their hand is now a weapon with the rock in it. What's not to love?
2: Yeah, this volume. There was a lot of work that was put into it. Um, It was really exciting, but also it was just a lot of work uh, because to me, I think what's the most important about, you know, choosing your ancestry for your character is what is it like to be this person? You know, it's like, we know what, we kind of know what it's like to be a human. So it would be nice to know, you know, try to experience what is it like to be something else? And for that reason, I put a lot of emphasis in, designing ancestries and other works where so that you can immerse yourself and envision how would you live if you were this person? What what sort of life would you have if, for the Ozid, if you didn't have a skeleton or you didn't have skin or you had to, you had to envision what you're going to look like for the day. All of these really unusual things that with their experiences that, you know, a, a typical human would just take for granted.
0: I really, really enjoyed uh, pouring over this and you you have everything for the listeners. This is, you know, a, a full fledged ancestry. There is heritage you there's know, equipment. I mean, you have you have a ton of stuff here and it's like Trevor said, you know, 62 pages, but it's really a lot of it, they're just enjoying to read, to learning about the culture, learning about how they interact with the world. And there are so many simple things in there that are are really entertaining to me. Just like you said, the the sleeping container, of course, you know, I think anyone of a certain age is going to immediately think of DS9 when they use <laughs> oh no, a sleeping bucket, yeah, man. Yeah, you say a sleeping container. Like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of really great stuff in here. You backgrounds, you had an ooze idol in, which I love summoners. So I thought that was really cool that you included stuff like that. And even with the equipment, the one that stuck out to me, the polystaff, I really loved how you took the modular trait and added effects based on how you were modulizing it. So if it was like, you know, if it was bludgeoning, it got shoved. If it was piercing, it got thrown. And if it was slashing, it got tripped. I, th- I actually thought that was really cool. It's like the switch side on steroids.
1: <laughs>
2: I wish I could take credit for it totally, but yeah, it was the I was inspired by the Switch scythe, and really the I I absolutely love the modular trait. I think it's such a brilliantly thought out trait that there's so many ways you can flavor the modular trait. It was introduced using the uh, the poly tool, where it was essentially a weapon that was uh, a switch like a Swiss Army knife, but it could also mean your Physically changing the parts of your of your your weapon so that it's dealing slashing damage instead of piercing damage. I decided that for the polystaff, you are literally just taking a staff and then shaping it with your hands or whatever appendages you have to form a blade or or a bludgeon or a, or a spear.
1: All those versatile traits that you add to the unarmed attacks, too, through various ancestry feats, really speak to that love you have of, of modular traits. You made an entire modular ancestry. You can see that ethos of malleability going through the entire thing, which you know makes sense. But you can see that that's absolutely at the core of, of how you did this. If you're looking for something that's versatile and it carries that from theme to mechanics, I mean, this is it nothing nothing better for it
2: that's what i'm all
0: about so what led you to wanting to create oozfolk in particular
2: oh yeah that's a that's a good question uh really to me slime characters are just really intriguing to me because as i mentioned before it's such a different experience to try to imagine what it'd be like i mean i guess you can if you really put it bluntly we're all like a bag of chemicals and stuff but with a with an with an oozid you Literally are a bag of chemicals, and and it's just like what what would it be like to be this type of this type of thing that has to shape themselves? And I've also seen a lot of really interesting characters that would probably be considered slime characters or ooze folk in various media. Probably some that you wouldn't even think of, like like for example, technically Majin Buu and, and, and Dragon Ball Z is. Kind of a news folk. He's kind of a weird character that can shape himself, and then of course, uh, there's the gas fellows for Bastion, uh, and also uh, this is one particular thing that my editor really liked. That I was also inspired by the Condra from uh, Brandon Sanderson's uh, Mistborn series. So I've had a lot of a lot of inspiration from various media, and I just felt very compelled to create an oozefolk. Uh, Ancestry that you could make a character that's an ooze.
0: Heck, even Clayface from Batman. Exactly. So you
1: said you talked about your editor. I I do want to call out as well. Um, I kind of have a habit that every every time that we get a book, because I know that a lot of you guys are. A one man band, right? You're writing, you're typesetting, you're editing, and things get missed when that happens. I have a habit of while I'm doing it, I'm going through on my on my phone, uh, reading these PDFs, and I mark them up for like typos or you know, oh, there's a misspaced period or or you know, these letters are swashed together. We have some kerning issues. I don't think I found a single thing in your book, which is amazing considering how long it is. So kudos to your editor and kudos to you for for. Getting an editor for something so massive
2: oh absolutely I just I'm happy that you brought this up because I just want to give a huge shout out to my editor uh, Aaron Tyson uh, he's a friend of mine from uh, a Pathfinder Society Lodge and a great GM and just a really really awesome guy to be around after he looked at my first volume and he's he was like hey I, I'll be your editor for your next book and I'm like okay and then he just pulls off this amazing job. I gave him a tight deadline. I gave him a very tight deadline. I think he did, he had to do this in less than two weeks because I, there was so much time that went into this volume that it was getting to a point where I needed to I needed to get it out into the world so I can start working on the next thing. Uh, and he blew my expectations. And I just have to give kudos to Aaron Tyson. So. Thank you, Aaron, for your phenomenal work. And he deserves all the credit and the respect that should be afforded to him.
0: Good job. Uh, Knocked it out of the park. A Good editors worth their weight in gold. Absolutely.
1: So you said you had a tight timeline. How long did this take for you to write?
2: Um... It's hard to say because this project has actually kind of been off and on for more than a couple of years, but for serious work on it has been has taken about five or six months. I began work on it in January, and it it kind of went through sort of an adventure in itself for how it was created. Um Originally, I wanted to make a Ooze Folk Ancestry for quite a long time, and I had written a bunch of notes for culture and statistics for an Ooze Folk uh, race for Pathfinder 1st Edition. And for the longest time, it just kind of sat in my Google Drive as just a bunch of notes. And then, you know, the Pathfinder 2 comes out, and the Ancestry system is... Absolutely amazing. If if there was anything that I I I could pick out that I really love about Pathfinder 2 is just that that who you are, what your ancestry is plays such a huge role in your character, both from a cultural perspective, but as well as a mechanical perspective, which kind of sets it apart. So I was happy to take advantage of that and finally bring all these notes to life uh, in Pathfinder second edition.
0: And I do want to call out that you guys included stats for Pathfinder first edition, as well as Starfinder in this book as well.
2: Uh, yes, actually. Uh, in fact, because the OZids started as a, a first edition uh, race. So I've had a lot of experience making races, both in homebrew and, and, other, and other little things. So to me, it's just kind of seems obvious of kind of a low-handing fruit to have a conversion for Pathfinder 1st Edition and and Starfinder, because I know a lot of people only play Starfinder, only play 1st Edition or 2nd Edition, but I think all three games are pretty great, and if if you love a particular ancestry or heritage, why not it be in all three systems?
1: Right, and, and and you dedicated quite a bit to these. There's you know eight eight ten pages on each of these, something like that. It's it's a, not a tiny amount. It's not like a one sheet and a table. It's it's still pretty pretty in depth on these.
2: Yeah, I kind of I guess I kind of went a little overboard with the feats and the uh art, the uh alchemist archetype for the ozid.
1: Yeah, I think if I could say that there would be one problem. It's if I was to build an ozid character or. A uh, oozmorph character, I would be beset by such analysis paralysis because you have so many different tracks that you can go down. Like you could build 15 different of these characters and just from an ancestry perspective, never even scratch the surface of what's possible for a character.
2: Uh, yeah, it's there's a hundred a hundred feats. Um, it's just this is just one of those projects where I just kept having ideas. Um, Usually my, my process for designing feats, designing heritages, or you know, similar options for races or ancestries or, or whatever, thinking, okay, what does this what does this need? What options need to be there? And then what options can be there? I wanted to have feats for every heritage. It otherwise it wouldn't be fair. You would, you would want to have feats for your heritage, and if you didn't have feats for your heritage, then it, it's, it doesn't feel great. So I wanted to make sure that every heritage had their own feats, and then I just wrote down a long list of possibilities. The design space is massive, absolutely massive, and I just had. This was just one of those projects where I just kept having ideas, and eventually I had to stop and say, "Okay, that's enough. A hundred feats is enough for now."
0: So the uh, ooze folk in Galarian, where did you think that, you know, they kind of had their niche in the world? Did you think there did you have specific places in mind that you thought were better for them than others? Or did you just see them kind of being anywhere?
2: I imagine the Ozids being pretty much anywhere where there's where magic and and alchemy is like paramount, you know, Uh, especially in Nex. Especially in Nex, and maybe a little bit in, the, in Thevia as well. But in general, you can possibly have an Ozid settlement almost anywhere because the central point with Ozids is that they are fascinated by the cultures of other ancestries. They are fascinated by humans and elves and dwarves. Uh, they think like Kitsune are really neat, and and gnomes are really fascinating. And they just love to understand them and and try to mimic them, and that's a lot where their their shape shifting comes into play because many ozids they will look kind of like another ancestry. Examples and illustrations in this book uh, include merfolk. There's there's an ozid that looks like a merfolk, uh, and there's an ozid that looks like an elf, and and ozids that look like kitsune, because they think they're really neat and they want to be like them they want to experience this really neat culture that is not their own and in some cases we'll try to incorporate it into their own lifestyle which is why a lot of ozs started you know wearing they started wearing uh, boots and clothes and neat garments because the other the other ancestries are doing it and it's really neat
0: <laughs>
2: i do want to call
0: out you do have a lot of really good art in here I thought it was very nice. It was it was very cute, you know, going through. And I particularly like like right on. I think it's the second, third page. You have like a little typical slime blob and it's got a bunch of stuff inside of it, food and whatnot. And, you know, throughout there, there's images of, you know, oozed rat folk. And just like you said, there there is a lot of stuff there. So you did a re- you did a lot of really nice art. And I believe I saw that you did the art yourself. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I,
1: I dig the art. It's, it's rad. It, and since it's all, it's thematically identical, right? Because it looks like you did it because you've got a GW uh, 2022 uh, signed under all of them.
2: Uh, that's correct. Yes, I did. I did all of the illustrations. I also did the layout as well.
1: That was going to be my next question. The layout is <laughs> good. I like the layout.
2: Oh, gosh, that's a that's an adventure in itself to describe. When I was working on my first volume, uh the Art of Forge Handbook, which was a first edition class, uh I used a word processor and Google Drive and I absolutely disliked it. I had so many problems because it kept changing the styles and when I would import them into Scribus, it would like change the styles on me and I just like okay, I have to for my next book, I have to do something else. So I actually built a tool that through a mixture of technologies, because uh, I, in my day job I'm a software engineer, so building building software and applications is what I do. So I built an application that would automate all the really neat stylings that that and formats that Pathfinder Second Edition has, so to streamline my my workflow, so I can be producing lots of content and not be bogged down with having to do spent hours on the layout that in itself was kind of a a major feat and actually to be honest it delayed the the release of the book by two or three months just trying to fix and figure all of that out because i originally planned to release this book in in april and ended up releasing it at the start of july
0: Yeah, the people do not generally realize how much effort and work go into that. And I do some of my own content creating stuff. And that is, I don't even consider that I've started until I have all of the text done. It's now the adventure of trying to get that layout done and get it into something presentable that you're happy with. And it's a lot of work. It often takes longer to do that than it did to write everything, so... (laughs)
1: I have been kicking around the idea of making a LaTeX plugin to do just layouts for this.
2: It'd I consider fun. that actually very strongly, but I ended up going with markdown and a mixture of, of other technologies.
1: That's very very cool. I might have to pick
0: your brain about that. So what's the price tag on this bad boy, Garrett? Uh 8.95. It is very well priced for what it is. There is so much information here. Obviously, this is kind of if you want to play News Folk, because if you don't, there's not a ton here, but it is still very fun to read. And it is something that you can incorporate into your games, particularly if you are a GM and adding new flavors of races and just. It, increasing the depth of the world and adding a lot of new stuff. So, you know, people are always excited when new ancestries become available. So I think this is this is definitely one that has a lot of information. So it's it's well worth the read. How how did you arrive at your pricing?
1: I know that that's something that a lot of content creators struggle with determining how they're going to price whatever they've released. What what was the the process you went through to figure out, okay, is this something that somebody will buy at this price? Is this going to be worth the time I put into it? Will this entice me to make more in the
2: future? Um, yeah, I think that's that's actually a really good question. I know this is a very very tricky thing to figure out, and you know it's it's important because it's going to it's going to affect your bottom line, and it's going to affect how many people will will be exposed and using your content. Which you know you you want both of those. You 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 want to you want your project to be fruitful but you also want you want people to to use your content because that's that's why that's why I'm a game designer that's, that's what I <laughs> that's want that's why you're making it <laughs> yeah that's why I'm making it I, I if i if i didn't want people to use it i wouldn't be making it but yeah um it did help that I had a little bit of experience from this because I used to own i used to have a a business on uh, the the Second Life platform, so I had experience in figuring out how people respond to different prices and my My philosophy is to make the customer feel like they're getting a good deal but at the same time making it feel premium like they're getting a good deal. For a premium content, and that's a very difficult middle ground that you want to have. So what I did was I looked at other volumes on Pathfinder Infinite, and really my measuring stick was the works of Alexander Agundas, because I absolutely love his work. It always has an interesting flair and character to it. And he gets like the most amazing artist to do his work. So when I saw that he did Kitsune of Galarian and then the other books that kind of went along with that, I believe Kitsune of Galarian was uh, about about like nine ninety five or something like that. It's,
1: yeah, it's nine ninety nine.
2: Like that's such a great book, and I use that as a metric. And so I made it just slightly cheaper than that because you don't want to undersell yourself, but I do want the customer to feel like they're getting a a good bargain. And when I was figuring out the numbers, eight ninety five just it just felt right, because one of the weirdest things about pricing your, your merchandise is feelings. Feelings affect how people perceive. Like, people will look at a, a price, and they will have a certain emotional reaction to it, and that's why nothing is really a solid number like $10 or $8, or because they found through through research that that's just how people react to it. So, uh, so yeah, uh, Kitsune of Galarian was about ten dollars. I made it slightly less, and eight ninety-five just felt like, it just felt like a good number that uh, just felt right.
0: Well, I do highly recommend this to anyone out there that is wanting to play an Uzoid or just curious about what's on what's going on in here. It's there's a lot of good inspiration, even if you're looking to make your own ancestry. The, there's a lot of things in here you can look at and go through and think, oh, yeah, I did not consider that when I was going to be making my own. So it's a great reference material. It's there's a lot of good stuff in here. So I certainly do recommend it. Yeah,
1: 100 yeah, uh, percent. Your Price per word is absolutely ridiculous here. You know, even at, you know, somebody will see that and like, uh, eh, $8.95, that's one of the more expensive books. It, it, you know what? It might be, but it's also one of the biggest ones I've seen. And certainly the biggest one that I've seen so far that had this level of uh, content, both mechanically and uh, thematically as well. And it has exactly what it says on the tin on the inside of it. You're not getting a bait and switch. You want to hear about Ruse Fork or Galarian? You got 62 pages of it, brother.
0: I do agree. Trevor said a little while back, one of our interviews, like, oh, they should have word counts on these. And actually, I was thinking on Infinite, like, oh, that would be amazing. Actually, it would help a consumer so much looking at some of these things. You just don't know what's inside. I mean, that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this is because people look at all of these great products and they're like. I, ha- I have no idea what's in there. I don't know if I want to do that. So we're like, we're well, in a position that we can get our hands on these and review these for people and let them know what's inside so they can make the determination of, hey, I do want to pick that up.
1: If there was anything that you could say to a fledgling or latent content creator that was on the edge about putting their stuff out there, something that would encourage them to try or discourage them, um, based on your experience, what is it that you would tell them, you know, something that maybe you didn't know that you learned through this process that you wish you had known or, uh, something you regretted or anything really, what, what do you have to say to, to somebody that looks at this and like, oh, I have ideas, but I don't know, could I do something this cool?
2: Uh, absolutely. I have, I have quite a number. Uh, my most important advice is just do it. Make it. Just make it. Don't stall. Don't wait. In fact, uh, someone asked in Dustin Knight's Discord about they wanted to publish something that might end up being contradicted by a future adventure path by Paizo. And they asked, should they wait or what should they do? And I just told them, just do it. Don't, don't halt. Just release it. If it does contradict it, oh, well, if you're really worried about it, work on some other part of the the project or just go back and edit it after you released it. But it's most important to just keep doing it. You'll do amazing things if you just keep working at it, if you just keep at it and and learn from your past mistakes, learn what worked, what didn't work. So just do it. Uh, Another piece of advice that I have is don't over don't overdo it. Um I made Ooze folk of Galarian, but I overdid it kind of a little bit. I know <laughs> <laughs> and it feels weird for me to say this because I know a big selling point of this is just it's tr- it's full of content, but this took a lot longer than it should have because I I just didn't want to stop. But you have to Get it out the door so people can experience it, and that you can learn from it, and then move on to your your next uh, project. So just try to start with a small project, and then try to tackle bigger things. Ancestries is a, actually a really good place to start, or even just heritage's, because a lot of it you could just focus on the lore, and really, I feel like that that's a major part of. Why you would want to play a certain ancestor is just the lore and their cultures. Just focus on that. Don't make your first major project a class because classes <laughs> are classes are the most complicated mechanic in the entire game. They take a long time. It's why Paizo has playtests for classes and pretty much nothing else. Except, you know, major, you know, if they're releasing some kind of new mechanic or something. But classes are the one thing that they playtest a lot. And it's because they're very difficult and very time consuming to design. Try to start with something small and manageable because after you do that first project, you will get a feel for how long it takes to to do your project, how long it would take to do layout and such. So after you do your first project, everything from that point will will feel much easier and much more manageable. Those are my two pieces of advice. One, just design things. And two, try to start small so you can figure out the basic things and then move onward from there because it's a very exciting adventure, but it's an adventure that you just have to you just have to keep going at it in a way that isn't going to overwhelm you.
0: Well, and like everything in life, the first time you do it, it's not going to be perfect. You, it requires practice and you're just doing it as you said. So you you have to accept that the first thing you do, it's not going to be perfect. And that's OK. And you just keep working and getting better and getting better. No one, the first time they tried anything, was it perfect. And this is no different. It's just you have to get your hands dirty, get in there and start working and just keep going.
2: I would like to add one more piece of advice. Uh, And I think this is something I really wanted to hammer on, uh, especially Um, when you're making an ancestry. The difference between a good ancestry and a great ancestry is character. If you want to make an ancestry, make it something that is your own. When I started with this project, it was just going to be an, an ooze folk. But at some point in my project, I realized that there's going to be other ooze folk ancestries out there, but there will never be another OZIT. So if you're making an ancestry, give it character, make it feel alive. And that's my third piece of advice. <laughs>
0: Well, Garrick, I would love to thank you for joining us again. This is Ooze Folk of Galarian, and we have Garrick Williams with us. And it was a pleasure talking to you. And I'm Christian. And I'm Trevor. And as always, you guys have a great week. Bye.